0: the second time it's gone on. Oh, never go home,
1: they never go home, they never go home, those those boys. That's yeah. They have asked for that, really. Oh, you can laugh. was the walk up.
0: I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You
2: don't know
1: what you're talking about. Well, if you know
2: Just like like to stay alive oh, I'm going like to, ah, go go to need I'd say it to you, please, and say it what to what you
3: now. Think? I'm down to Anfield, and we'll see them, will What you're
0: doing down here, you're showing man. <laughs> hello, and welcome to the Irish Times' second captain's football podcast. Owen here with Ken and Murph. Hi, Hi Hello there, on. I'm not sure I envy the man who has the job, the men indeed, who have the job of interviewing Premier League managers pre- and post-match. Uh, the great Ray Stubbs was in Jose Mourinho's firing line before the defeat by Everton. On Saturday, asking him a series of fairly legitimate questions, getting generally one, two, three word answers uh, and usually a bit of a glare back as if to say, Ray, I don't want to answer these questions. Mm. And eventually, I don't know if it was the fact that John Stones was contained in the first few words of the final question or if Mourinho genuinely was a little bit pushed for time, but he storms away saying, no, before the match, no, no, too long. Too long before the match. Mm. Storms off in disgust. Uh, which was, funnily enough, a lot more narky than he was after the game. Yeah, I mean, they had lost the match and he gave Ray stubs. But eight minutes of his time in the middle of it, Ray, Ray says, Ray, my good fr- friend Ray says, I uh, hope you don't mind me keeping you this long. And he said, no, after the match, it's fine. I'm <laughs> happy to,
2: to stand here shooting the breeze, uh, Ray, with you all day. Uh, pretty much seems to be what Mourinho was saying. Although... Uh, what appeared to happen next was that Mourinho was so angry that he stormed up the corridor and uh, directed an abusive tirade on Roberto Martinez for delaying him. Yeah, he uh, was
0: big on the time. He was big on his management of time on Saturday, Chelsea.
2: He had to get back on that big blue bus or probably the big blue private jet. I don't know how Chelsea travel to Merseyside these days. They were when,
0: all on a bus apparently waiting, yeah. But yeah, was the bus just taking them the to... Maybe the bus to the airport or the, the private airport, aerodrome yeah. or... I don't how long would it, How long would the drive be back to...
2: London. drive pff, don't know three hours maybe two, two, now, so two might now, be, three might hours might be getting a flight there maybe the train maybe they're going to Lime Street train's very uh, train's very good you know first class I suppose Chelsea it's, probably have a private it's, it's, I was about to say armoured pretty, carriage I was about
0: to say they're pretty expensive in the UK but then I figured I guess you know, Chelsea Chelsea, Chelsea football them. club they probably have yeah, sort even of a long running like, contract deal or something I'd imagine in terms of pricing yeah if I
4: was uh, if I was British Real I'd be negotiating a pretty hard bargain with Chelsea football club I've got to
0: tell you that mm. I'm not going to be offering them hefty online discounts. Tony or Virgin Rail of course indeed uh, Tony Barrett was at Goodison to witness Jose's strange behaviour all day we'll chat to him and Jonathan Wilson on Man United's win against Liverpool let's get into all of that right now in Kennedy's report on sport music came in a bit early there Simon but we'll go ahead it's okay. we'll fine
2: yeah. uh, so Louis van hal enjoying himself after the game um, he Said, ha ha, these games against Swansea City are a lot more difficult than these games against <laughs> Liverpool, huh? huh? Swansea City, they are, a, they are a bogey team for me, but Liverpool, hmm. So it's three out of three for Louis Van Hal against Brendan Rodgers. Uh, the man who. Three
4: for three for Gary Monk as well, but I mean. Gary
2: Monk uh, as well. Uh, but Gary Monk, I don't remember saying before Van Hall arrived in England that he would. Um, He'll find it tough here. And I'll, uh, I'll try and help him. I'll try and reach out to him. And Brendan Rodgers has reached out to Lee Van Gaal in the most meaningful way one Premier League manager can help another Premier League manager with maximum points. <laughs> um, so, I mean, this was, this was a big result for, for, for Van Hal because of the way in which the whole build-up to the game had gone, stories coming out in the press, quite detailed ones, uh, ones which he then on Friday confirmed this is this is true maybe not in exactly the way that you've presented it in your rags however uh, I did I have spoken to the players I always speak to the players I think it's good to speak to the players players are interesting guys um, but you know it, there, there was this kind of sense of oh maybe all isn't well here and if they had lost or or played badly in a disappointing you know disappointing draw um, that would have been a problematic situation for Van Halen. Instead, they have a uh, a great win against Liverpool, an enjoyable win against Liverpool at least. And uh, also, the excitement of seeing Anthony Martial come in and immediately score a brilliant goal. Yeah, I think
0: that's what jazzed up the otherwise fairly dull affair. Well, that and the incredible bicycle kick by Benteke, I suppose. But there's always an excitement when a young guy comes in and slots one in like that. Helped by some generous defending by Martin Skirtler.
2: He did, and they had Thierry Henry there. Thierry Henry is—I mean, Martin Skirtle did did run around <laughs> like a, like a clockwork mouse. You know, what I mean, it didn't it didn't look as though he knew really what what he was doing. It was a very similar move to the one Skirtle had executed in the previous Liverpool match against West Ham, where he he did something quite like that for he, the third West Ham goal. You really
0: don't want to start getting a trademark move as a centre back.
2: Especially when the trademark move is sort of running around in a figure of eight while a guy goes past you and scores.
0: Manage to be
4: very close to the ball without affecting the ball in any way. That that For that to be called a Martin Skirtle would not be a good you know career move for Martin Skirtle. It
2: wouldn't. I, I mean, he hasn't got the Lovren. The Lovren is sort of when you run up, you do a step over and then you trot on the ball and they run up the other end and score. That's the Lovren, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, I don't think he's done that yet, but none- nonetheless, that's <laughs> what you think of. Right when you when you when you think of uh, Desjanov, but um, you know, Martial, they had Henri is obviously the player he gets compared to a lot, um, and it was a really similar type of goal to a Thierry Henri goal, and they had Henri there giving uh, his appreciation of it. And Sky Sports, it was interesting to hear him talk about this goal. You know, and technical Henri is a good pundit when he's talking about the technicalities of scoring goals yeah he's very good at that and he's you know he he's got a couple of things that he tends to harp on one of them is the good players always have time you know there is time in the box if only you can bring yourself to believe in its existence kind of thing Henri. and the other is freeze the goalkeeper uh i look at the goalkeeper Henri believes that if you are running through a goal and look up at the goalkeeper it freaks him out he suddenly doesn't know what to do and he shrinks and that's when you can roll the ball past him into the corner. And this is exactly what Marshall did. I find with Thierry Henry's
0: punditry, maybe we're going on a tangent here, but just that because of his overwhelming, overarching gormlessness, uh, and maybe because of Irish attitudes to Thierry Henry regardless, Based on a certain incident that happened in his playing career, okay? you can't actually, nobody can see any positives in anything that he does, even though there's there are some. You yeah, know, I, I, I thought he spoke really interestingly a couple of weeks ago about his difficulties fitting into Barcelona. Essentially, when he boils down to it, it's that I had to stand on the wing there. Literally, just, just get out of Iniesta's way. That's yeah. your main job. But also do it in an intelligent manner. Yeah, so it's, he's having to think all day about how he. Make some Stands sort of impact the on job. the game while not being allowed to get anywhere near uh, where the actual ball is going to be. He's quite good, but I remember tweeting about that, and people were saying uh,
2: irony, uh, being sarcastic. I was like, no, it's, no, he's
0: just said something quite interesting there about Barcelona.
2: He is, he's interesting. I mean, he's intelligent. You know, it's, just, it's his massive insincerity that sort of puts you <laughs> off a little bit. But you know, at the same time, he has he knows a lot of stuff about the game. He's been in a lot of interesting places, achieved a lot in his career. I'd listen to what he had to say. Yeah. Um, it's
4: just you know and I, we have I think mentioned this before that you know in the run up to every game every team has a player who on his day is probably the, the best, best player, player in the Premier League. Yeah. For me, David Silva is oh, the best player in the Premier League. Magic. Yeah. <laughs>
2: this guy, this guy.
4: What? What <laughs> can this guy that do? Guy. This guy. You know. When
2: actually, Henri looks down on everybody, <laughs> everybody apart from Lionel Messi. He literally looks down <laughs> on every single person in the game. Apart from Leon Messi considers himself to have been better. But you know, we're not. We we didn't come here on today to talk about Thierry Henry. Um, let's talk instead about um, it, it was. I said it was a big result for Liverpool. I think it's a really big result for Brandon Rogers as well. Not in a good, not in a good way. Let's say. You idiot! Uh, I, I was I was puzzled. What what was that? You idiot! That sounded like the president of the United States. The president States. of the United States. Yeah. Getting involved in this. Um, I I think that Barack Obama would probably have questioned the team selection. Mm-hmm. He might have said, look, Mr. Rogers, I don't know anything about your game. I'm a basketball man. On the other hand, uh, when you I You don't
4: play your point guard, you, you know, when, uh, in the paint. You when just don't do it.
2: Well, when I played basketball in high school, Barack Obama might say, you know, there was, there was a time when I um, slammed in a couple of uh, baskets into my own net I uh, was the worst player on our team, on our high school team, as we suffered the worst home defeat in 50-plus years. I'll tell you now, Coach Rogers, I did not start the next game. <laughs> my, my coach at that time thought that if you played that badly, there should re- there really had to be some kind of consequences. He took me aside before the game. He said, listen, Barack, I respect you. I, you know I, I love you as a player, and I think you could be a top player. But I have got to take you out of the starting five because what you did the last time we were out here. Look, we don't need to. We didn't, We don't need to re- revisit it. We both know what happened, and for that reason, I'm going to take you out of the team, and then I'm going to reintroduce you. You know, you're going to. You're going to fight for your place in training, in practice, in scrimmage, and. Eventually, you will. Practice. You know, when, when you get back into that team, you can feel as though you deserve it. Because right now, if I put you, if if I put you out there, your teammates don't have any confidence in you. The fans, the fans, the the, the student body doesn't have any confidence in you. Uh, I think it will be sending a message that I am prepared to indulge mediocrity more you than mediocrity, nice. ineptitude. I am prepared to indulge in ineptitude, so I can't do that. I've got to send a message to the team. What you did was not acceptable. It's nothing against you. It's what you did. It's not what you are. It's what you did that I can't... Pardon. You've got a chance to redeem yourself, but not today. And I said, Coach, I understand. I absolutely understand. In a way, I'm kind of relieved that you've put me on the bench for this game today. You know? Because I feel as though it's a kind of atonement. I feel as though... I feel as though if, if you played me today, it would be wrong. There are players who are more deserving than me. They didn't make those kinds of mistakes in the last game. I understand we're running a system here with consequences. I understand that my place in the team depends on my performance. And I'm going to fight. I'm going I'm to fight every day of my life to get back into that team. Who's the Barack Obama in this analogy? Dejan Lovren. Oh, okay. Uh, Lovren.
0: I'd actually gotten there all by myself. <laughs> 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 Fine,
4: don't, don't worry.
2: He was, he was so bad against West Ham that I, I mean, I assume that there's no way that he can start. It's it's time now f- to see another player come in. For all the reasons I've been talking about in this, you know, in, in what happened with Obama, it's the same situation. You know, it's like, you can't keep your place. If, there has There is a point at which you play so badly that you got to drop out of the team. It's everyone expects it, including you. You know what I mean? The mm-hmm. manager has to do it. It's like, Dejan, this hurts me more than it hurts you. But I'm going to play Mamadou Sako in this game. But that didn't happen. Lovren played. Now, Lovren didn't actually ultimately uh, do anything individually bad that lost him to this game. He was part of the collective failure to notice Daly Blind might have been a threat. you know, Lurking around, unmarked, near the edge of the box. What's he doing? I'm not there? sure
0: that's really the centre-halves job, though.
2: What? The defensive leader, as Brendan Rodgers said?
0: Well, there's about eight players ahead of him between where he should be and where... The, you, you don't have your big centre half looking after the guy on the edge of the box
2: but you know given that he is as, as Rodgers had, had talked about when they signed him a leader in defence it's the job of a leader
0: to communicate with others that there might be an issue I'm not saying
2: it. lover has to go out there and, and mark David bin personally but send a little minion out there you know maybe this is something that that's, that's I mean I, I think it's what Jamie Carger said after the game look I'm thinking what's, what's going on here why are they all why is there nobody here why? Why are we all standing in the 6 yard box? And there's only one guy here. There's only one opponent. What are they all doing out there? Something's wrong. You know, something's wrong. Obviously, these kinds of things don't happen in in the brain of Dejan Lovren, Simon Vraini,ay Martin Skirtle. But it was it's, kind it's, of an
4: interesting bit of analysis by Carragher as well. That he was saying that all of the players could say, "Well, I did my job. I was where I was supposed to be." But that everyone saying that doesn't mean you, you did your job. You did your job. The, the fact remains that you have to read what's in front of you and Liverpool failed singularly to do that.
2: The manager's instructions are a guideline rather than, you know, you have to, ultimately, the the you've the initiative rests with you. You've got a to, and the responsibility. Um, but, you know, it seemed to me as though he, if, if you run a regime without, which apparently doesn't have consequences for failing, um, although, you know, I mean, there are consequences for some players, but some players are more equal than others, it, it seems to me, you know, I mean, Lover and apparently can play that badly and get back in the team. I don't. I don't think you could say that necessarily about everybody. So I think that that in itself fosters a sense of what's going on here. You know what I mean? Whatever. You know, it's 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 a small issue, but what, it's more of a general issue than one relating to the game. I mean, what it seems to me, um, I, I was a bit puzzled by some of the things Brendan Rogers said afterwards. You know, he was. You could see Liverpool gave the ball away a lot in in their own third in the first half, especially because they are trying to play. Intricate build-up play, which they can't do. You got you got Lover and Mignolet. Mignolet gave the ball away with a throw at one point. He threw the ball directly into Juan Mata, who was standing five yards in front of him. Yeah, it looked like well, you know this is not this is not a guy who can. He's not you know Franz Beckenbauer in goalkeeper form. It well,
0: looked like a, a, a modern Gaelic football match where uh, one team has this short kick-out strategy, and the other pundits are always imploring the opposing team when they're playing Dublin to push up on the kick-outs. And cause them a bit of issue, and that's almost what that looked like. They'd, they'd, they'd be showing a replay, and by the time the replay was finished, the ball was suddenly hurtling back towards the Liverpool
2: goal. Certainly in the first half. So obviously they're doing that because that's what Brendan Rodgers wants them to do. You know, which is okay. He, he, he believes, as he said after the game, um, if you don't uh, if you don't hold on to the ball for longer periods, you know, it's if you read, say, Guardiola's uh, the book about Guardiola. Uh, Her Pep or Pep Confidential, whatever it was called, the mm-hmm. Marty Pernagher book. And I know Brendan Rodgers read it because he mentioned that he read it uh, in an interview back in, in March. Or was it really an interview? Certainly, anyway, it's a book Brendan Rodgers is aware of. And Guardiola says some strange things in that, things which which might strike you as strange. He's obviously got a sophisticated understanding of the game, more than you or I own, where he's saying, you know, you c- it's impossible to have, like, a proper attacking build-up unless there's at least 15 passes gone into the Going into your or you know orienting the team in midfield and getting everyone set up to go, you need you need fifteen passes to make that happen. Before you can have a proper attack, I'm not talking about you know a counter attack where oh you know they've just had a corner and we can run up the other end and score, uh, and you know you get the feeling Rogers is thinking yeah you know I, I like a bit of that you know we'll have a we'll have a few because otherwise he said the the alternative is he, they just hit Benteke this, he was complaining that the players were too quick to. Hit the big man with, you know, these, oh, no, what am I going to do? Hit the big man. What would have been so wrong with hitting the big man in this particular instance when Benteke against Blind is the most obvious mismatch on the field in terms of here's a player who can obviously exploit some of the weaknesses of his, of his opponent. Remember Bafetimbi Gomez against Blind a couple of weeks ago. Really gave him a proper going over, you know, in the Swansea game. Kept just pushing up into the space between Blind and Luke Shaw. Uh, scored a goal that way, hit the post, generally gave Blind an absolute nightmare. Benteke just didn't do that at all. Mm-hmm. I don't even know, I don't know if he was fully fit. Um, and I to be honest, he didn't look fully fit to me. But, I mean, although he did play the, the full game. Um, but it just seemed to me, so if, if you've got that, you should use it. You know, there's not, not too many other advantages you have. Um, but look, um, that was the way that that was the way that it worked out. The most interesting thing about the game, uh, I guess, from Liverpool's point of view, or the build-up to the game, was Steven Gerrard's new autobiography. Gerrard obviously had had an autobiography uh, to in, back in 2006 after that World Cup. He's got a new one coming out with Donald McCrae. Donald McCrae, who's this uh, you know masterful interviewer. Uh, whose work is usually in The Guardian. Yeah, we had him on last week mm-hmm. on his book about Emil Griffith, the uh, boxer. So he's done He's done Stephen Jarrett's... Uh, he's a ghostwriter in this anyway. But it sounds, uh, so far from, from what I've read, these extracts that are appearing in the Daily Mail, a lot like the last one. Um, the last one was a, was a, a portrait of a man, sometimes in anguish, Owen. A man flooded by passion. Uh... And indeed, this this book has, has lines like "passion surged within me," uh, which which remind me of lines in the last one, like "I ached to hunger to launch my hungering body into Chelsea." <laughs> this kind of stuff. And um, so he, you know, it's the same character. I, I'm reading. There's a couple of interesting things. First of all, he talks a, a little bit about the whole in, incident last season when he got sent off against Manchester United after 38 seconds. He was stamped on Herrera. does not apologize for it, by the way, not not unless they cut that out of the extract. Maybe he apologizes the time I can't He, you know, he feels. Stupid that he got sent off, but he's not particularly sympathetic to Herrera, which made me wonder as, as I read this account how is this different exactly from the, the one in which Roy Keane uh, admitted that he deliberately stamped on Haaland and ended well, up getting a massive fine? Is what? it because he used nasty, a nasty C word? If that's the only difference I can make out. Well, it wasn't just a nasty word; it was an
0: entire thought process put out there. And in fairness, he didn't use that nasty C word again, or he may have used that word, but certainly there was poetic license taken. Was. by the ghost writer at the time, according to uh, according to Edmund Dunphy himself. Didn't yeah. actually save Roy Keane, so maybe it wasn't actually worth falling on that particular sword. But that's a long;
2: it's water under the bridge. Well, we'll see if the FA uh, drags Team Jared back and find him two hundred grand or whatever, whatever it was. The king will fine. but. Yes, um, he has, yes. He has, there's a couple of things I want to mention. One is this: um, Brendan Rogers man management. There's an example of this, uh, where uh, first of all, Karen, can I ask you, have you read any of these? No. Okay, right. This, th- this is good. So, I, I'm Brendan Rogers, You're Stephen Jarrett. Okay. We're playing Man United this weekend. Good boss. Earlier, <laughs> earlier in the season, I've told you, Stevie, you know, obviously. You're an amazing player. You're one of the most amazing human beings I've ever met. Thanks, coach. But, <laughs> but you, uh, I feel that I have to manage your games a little bit. If I want to get the absolute best out of you, given that you are 35, 34, 35 years old, I'm not going to be able to play in every minute like I used to.
4: Okay, coach.
2: But because you are my number one man, my captain and my go-to guy, you will play. You will play whenever um, we have a big game. Whenever the the biggest games come come along, you're going to be in the okay. team. Okay, so that's I've I've had that conversation with you a few weeks ago. Now it's now it's um it's Wednesday night. You are you're at home, uh, watching Entourage, right? Bloody love that. Steve Jarrett likes Entourage. Love apparently. that show. So yeah. you're at, you're at home watching Entourage. When in
4: this f- episode, the four guys have a problem, but then it ends up with <laughs> the four guys, the problem solved, and they're lying at the side of a pool. <laughs> they have a pool party. So the the pool party is just starting. The credits are rolling. It's my phone, my eyes. phone, my my phone rings.
2: So no, no, your phone, your phone doesn't ring. It just it just buzzes, yeah, And and okay. you look at it. It's a text, and it's uh, you know B or, oh,
4: Coach Rogers comes up on the phone,
2: and it says, uh, "You've trained so well the last couple of days. Can we have a chat? Can you come into my office in the morning before training? You've you've had an amazing training session. What are you thinking? Uh, Manu- the Man United games this weekend.
4: Well, taking into account the conversation that we had a couple of months ago, and now the text message that you've sent me. I'm feeling pretty bullish about my chances of being uh, selected on the, the the first 11 there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, as it turns out, that's exactly what Stephen Gerard thought. He went to bed, he lay there tossing and turning, thinking positive thoughts. Mm. Not, still tossing and turning, but you know, he was thinking, yeah, you know, that's great. Anyway, he goes in, he goes into the office in the morning before training. Uh, it says... So I so you come in, and I start smiling as soon as I see you. Morning, Coach Rogers. I, I sm- we I both s- know where this is going. I, I, I Go smile, on, then. I lean back in my chair. I say, how are you feeling?
4: Oh, bloody great, boss. After that text message you sent me last night. Yeah, boy. I'm
2: fine. Good, says Stephen Jarrett. No problems. Brendan, I then say, look, I'm desperate to get you back into the eleven. Well, but
4: you have the you have the potential to do that. <laughs> you to not be that desperate to do it. It's I mean, quite easy for you. Just to. you say my name. But yeah. the
2: team has done so well. I'm going to go with the same lads that started the other night. <sighs> what do you think, Stephen Gerrard, thought of that one?
4: It's just, it's just as weird because we had that conversation a couple <laughs> months ago.
2: <laughs> That's what you think you would have said. You're yeah. the captain of Liverpool Football Club, by the way. Yeah. You, you so you think you would have said?
4: Well, coach, you know I respect you. But we had this conversation a couple of months ago and you said you were going to play me in the big games. The, big, the biggest game, <laughs> f- for me, the biggest game as a Liverpool legend is Manchester United at home. Mm-hmm. I mean, have we mentioned that this is my last ever season? <laughs> <laughs> this is the last time I ever get to play this game, you know, uh, Coach Rogers. So, so those are the things you know. that
2: would have occurred to you, Kieran Murphy. Has anyone, has anyone ever claimed Kieran Murphy is a legendary uh, uh, cap- captain material? As a, as a lead as leadership officer in I don't think so. I mean when he plays football he's he's notorious for his his left footed striking ability and his budgie heart right <laughs> so just, you know no one's no no one thinks but what's what Karen Murphy just produced there was in my opinion, a much better uh, response than Stephen Jared did, which was to say no problem, fine okay, Brendan said. Okay, I nodded. I respect your decision. So he's saying, I decided to say professional. I, I, had, I had a split-second decision. Do I have a go at him? No, I went the other way, the right way. I decided to say professional. I'm thinking, is that, is that professional? There's a couple of other incidents a little bit like this in the book where Jared is put in an awkward situation where he feels angry about something, but he doesn't say it. Mm. Uh, he, for instance, he's, he's the England captain of the World Cup. The uh, players, uh, in- England players, are pissed off. Uh, they come to him gr- with their gripes and complaints. One of the complaints is, we have to walk what Jared describes as 50 yards to get a massage. Why can't they come and do the massage in the hotel room? That's how it is at my club. I don't like having to walk that far. Why can't you do anything about this? So Jared is sitting there thinking, what, like, you know, are you serious? But what he does is go, mm, yeah hears out the complaint and then doesn't, you know, doesn't do anything about it. He thinks it's, he has contempt for this moaning ego. It, you know, English players who are too lazy to do this simple thing and are causing problems just with their attitude. But he doesn't say anything. There's another one where Stuart Pearce, uh, Jared is like the England captain. Stuart Pierce comes in as caretaker manager. He says, Stevie, takes some aside. Stevie, uh, you know, I love you, obviously. Everyone does. But I'm going to pick Scott Parker as my captain. Uh, I, you know, I just thought I should tell you man to man, I'm going to pick Scott Parker. And Gerard is like, pff, 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 Scott Parker ahead of me, but only in his head, because he just goes, <laughs> all right, okay, fine. Now. But he, 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 then he's saying, oh, Pierce was just flexing his muscles, you know, like Rogers was flexing. Pierce just wanted to show the press he was like a strong man. I'm thinking to myself, why did you never say anything? Why did you not say anything? If you're supposed to be a leader... If you're kind of... A, it's not one of the, the, the hallmarks of leadership, the ability to tell people what they don't want to hear. You know, to say what you think, even if it's something that the other person doesn't really want to hear. Well, certainly in the case of the players, because he's leading the players.
0: So in that in that case of the unnamed English f- superstar footballers who w- didn't want to walk 50 yards for massage, yeah, he should have said something. Yeah, Shut your mouth! Shut not your mouth
2: the, and act like a grown-up. But, but yeah, with the ma- That's not
4: the professional thing to do in that situation. The professional thing to do is to be a captain the two managers is it's, kind of it's, a slight, it's yeah. slightly
0: different because uh, you could argue that he's not leading he doesn't lead the club right? the manager is supposed to be the one leading the club and he if he was to have a go at Brendan Rodgers it would be perceived and it would be out of self interest as opposed to interest for the
2: team he's always well, well of course I mean to a certain extent but this is a private meeting between Rogers and Jared in, in, in Rogers's office he's always talking about what a good relationship he has with them, but apparently not good enough to actually discuss a decision, which George is making, boss. I think you're making a mistake. Are you serious? I mean, you know, you, a you've told me I start the big games. B you texted me last night saying how great I was in training. C like what? Are you ta- what's wrong with you? You know why? Why or why don't you justify your top? You know what do you think John Terry would have done? What would John Terry have done in that situation? Well, we don't know. We don't know what he did
0: when he was substituted at halftime a couple of weeks back.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, I think John Terry in a private meeting. Would have said, Listen, this is crazy. Well, I mean,
4: you can it's not even a case of uh, having to fly off the handle and have like a complete bust up with him. But certainly, I would think that there is a place for you to say, I think you're making a mistake here. Yeah, you know, you can actually be professional well, and well, have a totally this, well, different, well, disagreeing. yeah, have a totally different reaction. Yeah, to that.
0: but it's hard to do that because. You're incredibly angry at that point. That's what he is. He's fuming. Yeah. So if you if you give vent to that, I know what you're saying is, is great in theory, but once you open that lid, you don't know what's going to well, pour out. Well, look, I
4: would say it's a lot harder to just say you're okay, I respect your decision. Well,
2: accepted that you could do it really quickly and then get the hell out of there. Yeah. Okay, I respect your decision, boom, gone. Yeah. I think what he's done there is actually avoided you know, kind of shied away from a what's a difficult confrontation uh, and then excused his Cowardice this is a bit strong, but you know he's, he's kind of avoided it and then he said, then he's, then he's you know, with reference to professionalism you know, I'm professional I do always do it best. but somehow or other, these Prussian values that he shows in, in this situation aren't quite so in evidence when he's mooning up about Jose Mourinho and how much Jose Mourinho, this is the other, the other part of it that I wanted to mention, he talks about Rafael Benitez and how he never felt loved the entire city loves him He's literally loved by the entire... He can't go out because the people love him too much. <laughs> if he goes out, it's like the end of that, that book, Perfume. Like they start ripping off his clothes, you know, wanting a piece of him. They love him that much. But he's sick at heart because Rafael Benitez is called towards him. Uh, Rafael Benitez seems to prefer talking tactics with Xabi with Alonso. Imagine. <laughs> and, you yeah. know, he, he he doesn't have... When he reads out the team, he gives other players their nickname. But Steve Gerrard is always Gerrard. I don't know what he wants, Benitez to call him Pookie Pie or what. He, needs, he, he feels as though there's no affection coming to him from, from Benitez. Whereas he says the ideal situation would have been if Jose Mourinho could have taken over Liverpool. Why? Because Mourinho makes his whole squad feel loved. Mourinho makes everybody feel as though they loved him. Look how devastated they were to lose him. He makes everybody feel loved. He would have made me feel loved. I would have won all these trophies. I thought this is, this is incredible. I mean, first of all, Jose Mourinho, if you leave aside all the evidence that Jose Mourinho actually makes quite a few of his squad feel hated, worthless, <laughs> you know, wanting to, get it, wanting to escape. Maybe that evidence has built up a bit in more recent years. In 2005, when Jared had the chance to, to go there, it wasn't so abundant, this evidence. But the idea that Mourinho loved all of his players is obviously wrong to anyone who isn't a child. He did love all his key players, though, a lot. Well, I suppose he loved Frankie Lampard. Yeah. Uh, although, what, what was going to happen if Stephen Gerrard had suddenly turned up? Would it have been, I love you both equally, both you, Frank, my son, and you, Gerrard, my new, my adopted son? Hmm. <laughs> you know, that, that would have been an awkward one. Lampard, I think, would have eaten him alive in a, would, in, a, in a case of direct competition for love there. Lampard, I think, a more cold, more hard-headed competitor than Gerrard. But this, this whole idea... Uh, you know, um, Rafa doesn't love me. I don't. I feel like he doesn't like me. Uh, Jose Mourinho would have would have loved me. Josie Mourinho would have loved you. He might have tricked you into thinking that way, but it just would have been a trick. But apparently, the illusion of love is better than the reality of a normal professional <laughs> relationship. But you know, between two between two men who who are striving towards the same goal. But speaking of this. Um, speaking of this uh, love, th- this magic spell that Mourinho was able to cast on his squad, uh, at least most of them, you know, enough of them at any one time, does seem to be showing signs of breaking down at the moment. Um, we saw them lose again to Everton. Uh, Everton, who played really well, you know, Naismith scores a perfect hat-trick. Um, uh, but you just wonder what's what's happening here. And I see today that Neil Ashton in the Daily Mail, a journalist who has had a lot of uh, Chelsea insider stories in the past uh, is now talking about how Mourinho was storming around um, the, the madman of Cobham, uh, people jumping in the cupboards to, to try and avoid bumping into him in the corridor uh, and tracing it back to the incident with Ava Carnero where he made this gross public error, which he can't admit. Can't take responsibility for which is which is she hasn't apparently been back to work, and it looks as though that's going to end in a legal wrangle, and uh, that this has really brought the atmosphere down. Uh, Diego he talks about Diego Costa as well. Um, Diego Costa, who you know came back a day late, uh, was, he was like off partying or whatever in Spain, came back a, a day late, was dropped for the Liverpool game at the end of last season. This is after they'd won the title, I think. Um, So Costa maybe thought, hey, I've won you the title. You know, loosen up a little. But Mourinho didn't see it that way. Obviously, he was doing a bit of DJing and stuff with Benny Benassi just quite recently. Um, And as a friend of mine said after the evening, he's playing like a 38-year-old Mark Hughes, right? (laughs) There was a moment when he tried to do a dribble in Everton's box in the second half where he honestly... Jeff Hendrick might have been able to carry this off, but Costa, his touch was just gone. You know what I mean? Uh, that the, that all of these relationships are now they, they seem to be uh, having having trouble and um, the next game of course is Arsenal who are rolling nicely now Mourinho was kind of in a in a sort of um, with a certain amount of bravado I felt like well you know we haven't done that well so far this season but we're definitely going to you know candidates to win the next game he kept the next using game that phrase yeah,
0: we're candidates to win the next
2: game yeah we're definitely candidates to beat Arsenal I thought well Arsenal are not a team I'd like to have to play at this point given the way that your team is going. Um so yeah, it's 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 all it's all pretty interesting.
0: All right, that's the end of Kennedy's report on sport. Mm.
3: You remember my, my grandmother, no disrespect when I used to get in trouble, she looked at me
0: and said, hmm. And I know butt working was coming at the uh-huh. I'm an alien. Think about it.
2: Roy Jones is born, Jane James, James Tony is born,
3: Iran Barkley is born. But I'm telling you right now,
0: I'm an alien.
3: Tell me why I'm not. Explain why I'm here. I'm an alien. I should have been on this game 15, maybe 20
0: years ago, man. And then that's why I said I'm an alien. I'm an alien. Tell me why I'm not. Explain why I'm doing. I'm an alien, but I'm telling you right now I'm an alien. Just Google it and get information. I'm an alien. You should be. Go I'm an alien. Google it. I'm an alien. Mm. I'm an alien. We'll be putting out our Rugby World Cup preview podcast today, which ties in nicely with a very special Irish Times Second Captains Charity Auction that we're holding this week. I'd like to let you know about this. Any money that we raise for this is going to the Medicine Sans Frontieres Refugee Appeal. We've got two hampers to give away. So the two highest auction bids will receive, this is what these hampers contain, an Irish Rugby World Cup rugby jersey signed by the whole World Cup squad two return Aer Lingus flights to London at a time of your choosing. Flexible. And this is with thanks to Aer Lingus. Here. Hashtag flexible? Or? Hashtag flexible. Um, um, the Aer Lingus are, of course, the official airline sponsor to the Irish rugby team. We'll also throw in five VIP tickets to our next live recording of the podcast in the Sugar Club Stop in it. October. Stop it. <laughs> Our green second captain's Euro 88 jersey, the green one, Murph, that's the sought of yeah. after one. yeah. If you ever get those white or black ones we just don't care about you as much as the people who own the green ones. <laughs> uh,
4: that's, uh, that's unnecessary. No,
0: it's, it's true. One of our second captain's limited edition black hoodies and a very sacred second captains mug to bid all you have to do is tweet us at second captains with the hashtag refugee appeal and the amount you'd like to bid or drop us an email editor at second with refugee appeal in the subject line of that one it's editor at second we want the bid to start at a thousand euro just for an amazing cause and an amazing bit of sporting memorabilia we are of course going to win the world cup after all so that signed jersey in particular is going to be can only priceless in a number of years Yeah. so quickly once more uh, this is all for every last cent we'll go to the sans Frontieres refugee appeal signed rugby World Cup jersey two return flights to London with Aer Lingus five VIP tickets to the next Irish Show club show in October and Second Captains Euro 88 retro green t-shirt black hoodie and mug Uh, just tweet us at Second Captains or email us editor at secondcaptains.com with your bid and we'll announce the winners on next week's podcast now Tony Barrett of the Times is ready to talk Uh, you're at Goodison Tony to see well a couple of things first of all though Jeremy Corbyn wins the Labour leadership and, and then Everton trash Chelsea this is a good morning for the revolution
3: it was a good morning for me with Corbyn, but I think I'm one of the few in England who should be happy with that, so uh, I'll take that for what it is. Now Everton was it was a dear session game, bad, bad day for Mourinho and he, he ended up with a bit of a advance at Roberto Martin, so it was it was interesting all around.
0: Yeah, we've been reading about this today. Can you tell us what happened?
3: It was a bit it was all a bit embarrassing to be honest so, you'll be with you the, the, we go outside what happens is you have the for people who aren't aware you have the the, the the first press conference and then you have a separate press conference where the manager will go outside and you will speak to the, the Mondays the national separately so so we're outside doing speaking to Roberto Martinez who's obviously happy with his loss uh, and you can see Mourinho approaching and he gets told by a security guard which way to go he ignores the security guard uh, and goes the way he pleases uh and it was like that, you know, when you're a kid, you're playing out, and one of the dads is coming towards you, and you know he's about to sound off. It, it was that kind of thing. The footsteps got louder. <laughs> you, you were just waiting. Who's getting it? What's this out there going to be? Uh, and he got there, he he sounded off to martinez the order that they carried out their press duties. Uh, and Martin has just looked at him as if he was mad and, and just said, it's nothing down to me, I don't do that. Uh, <laughs> and then he, he got an expletive detained him. Uh, from Mourinho. To, it, it was one of those, it, it was bizarre and it was extraordinary. I'm not one who's, who's offended by uh, that kind of language whatsoever, and I'm sure Roberto Martinez hears and says a lot worse on a daily basis, but it was just <laughs> unnecessary and it, it, it sort of paints the picture of, of where Mourinho's mindset at the minute and probably a little bit of frustration, not just that he's up but also the way uh, Martinez had played his hand over John Stones during the summer. So I think that all came out at that point.
0: Yeah, it does seem. Uh... It does seem indicative of his mood, Tony. I don't know, is it also indicative of maybe the position that he's in now, uh, that there's a bit of weakness around Jose Mourinho? Um, I I don't know if this is a fair point to make, but sometimes incidents happen with managers that aren't necessarily reported by the media for various reasons. If Jose Mourinho was riding high as he was, particularly given his popularity the first time he was at Chelsea, do you think there's a chance this one might have actually, he might have been able to just say, here lads, listen, you know, maybe leave that one out at the uh, the, the morning editions there, but now everyone senses blood?
3: I'm not sure. To, it, it, it's a good question. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure who sees Marino regularly. Uh, the, the, the London media would, would, would see him most often. I see him on my patch probably once or twice a year. Uh, I, I mean, from our point of view, it was, it was something that I don't think any of us had ever confronted certainly on the mayor's side patch and with his press office with Chelsea's press office at the time. So, to open himself up to that, I just thought that was strange, and that was when you, you have all those feelings of, of of are you being played? Is this is this Mourinho trying to hog the back pages for issues other than Chelsea doing disastrously wrong? Uh, but I just think it, I just think it is where he is. And I, listen, for me, it's it's absolutely fair game in terms of reporting. Uh, it, it, it was in that kind of situation, it was that set and he what was going on, and he, and he left himself wide open that kind of thing. And, and I think that's what surprised me. If he's done it. Knowing that and he's still willing to do that, and he knows what his image is. I, I
2: don't know exactly what he's thinking at the minute. Tony, um, the last times uh, Chelsea were up on Merseyside, I guess, were, well, in the Premier League anyway, was uh, beating Everton 6 3 at the beginning of last season, beating Liverpool as well at Anfield. Um, I assume he saw them on those occasions, and they seem to be a much, much weaker team at the moment than they were in either of those matches. I mean, just, you know, le- leaving aside Mourinho and whatever's going on with him. Quite a few of their key players seem to have sort of fallen off a cliff.
3: Yeah, and it, it, it's something that you, you can't really work out because if you, if you look at what's happened at Man City, they had the reverse problem at the end of last season. They had a lot of uh, senior players with people looking at thinking they're gone. How do you get them back? And Pellegrini's managed to do that where Chelsea thought these players were set to carry on at the level that they were at for some time and, and they've gone the other way. And looking at them Saturday, there was a 10 minute spell there after Everton went 2 0 up. Uh, I think it was before in between Naismith's second and and Massachusetts' goal where Everton dominated possession and Chelsea were just stood off there was no intensity in the play there was no hardy there was no one kicking anyone there was no one being cynical all the kind of things that you'd expect of, of Chelsea. I know the top side we'll find a way back into this. If we've got his auto-foul, means we will. Chelsea just stood off Everton and let them play. And that was the most extraordinary thing for me. It wasn't the goals, which were bad enough. It was this passage of play, which is the most un-Chelsea-like passage of play you'll ever see. And and, and the second goal is probably the, 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 the symptomatic of that. If you look at the way that goal happens... Chelsea play the ball from right to left, right across the midfield where you've got Matic, Obi McKell, who for me is an absolutely dreadful footballer, and I don't understand how he's in at Chelsea. But it goes right, to street, right across uh, to Naismith, who eventually scores. But it's that passage of, of passing, totally uninterrupted, which you would never associate with a Mourinho side, and, and that is the key to me. It's it's why is the effort not there? Why is the intensity, of the play not there? Because the ability still will be. That that that's there. We know that. So why where the intensity gone? And the only thing I can think of is that for some reason Mourinho is, is managing to suck the life out of this team. Maybe with all the stuff that he's got going on, with all the battles he's having, with all the distractions that he's created. and I don't know, maybe his mood, maybe his demeanour now now starts to be passed on to the players.
2: It kind of struck me that as well, Tony, because um, I, I heard what Marino had to say after the game on TV and to the press. He sounded weirdly uh, sort of friendly. I mean, obviously quite egotistical. I'm the champion, all this kind of stuff. I'm the man. Uh, but you know, it, it was um, he. He was kind of being a little bit nice. This is a dramatic contrast to his persona before the game. Oh, poor Ray Stubbs! It was it, it was it's the angriest pre-match interview I've ever seen. I mean, Mourinho was just kind of fuming in this, and he he was out then on the on the field watching the players in the in the warm up, which I don't think managers do all that often. Um, and he really just did seem as though he was in a very bad mood just to begin the whole day.
3: Now, everything the him, demeanor is is. His dress, his, his 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 growth, his hair, everything about him. So it he just looks wrong at the minute. He looks like somebody who doesn't particularly care to me. That that's the impression I got. I was looking at him from the back, uh, we're in the press box, and, and you look at Mourinho from the back, and you, you you look at that image of him when he first arrived in England, and he was he was always immaculately turned out, and now you've got this angry looking, scruffy looking fella who who, who doesn't fit in with that Jose Mourinho image, and I, I don't know what's going. It, it is one of those that you can't work out I mean there is those those mood swings after the game uh, we we were in the, the press room watching one of his, his television interviews on, on one of the TVs at Goodson Park nice. And the interview went on and on and on and on. And usually, I mean, pre-match there was also another thing pre-match that I, I didn't see, but apparently he walked out on BT when they him he to did, yeah. stones. So, so you got these these sorts of swings. So you, you're going from the one where he EP is nice and compliant and helpful, and to these swings where you've got them walking out of interviews and swearing at rival managers. And, and these swings do seem to be having an effect. That, that, that's the thing that I'm wondering. If these kind of swings that we're seeing as the public, as the media, are being replicated in the dressing room, it's probably no wonder that the Chelsea are performing as they are.
0: I don't think anyone can accuse Roberto Martinez of presenting himself in any in a scruffy manner. Uh, he, he, he looked pretty confident in himself yesterday there. And he was talking about John Stones after the game and said, look, this isn't about John Stones as a footballer, this this is all about John Stones as a man, the way he's handled this and the way he's played so well today, which I thought was a little bit over the top. I don't know John Stones as a as a man, Tony, but as a footballer, he looked very good again yesterday.
3: He, he did. To be honest with you, there the, the times when I, I I don't go with the accepted narrative on Stones, there times when I think that he's a player who still needs Phil Jagielka to do a lot of defensive work for him. And, and he does... There's times when he doesn't see situations early enough where he can be a little bit naive and defend them. But on Saturday he was immaculate. He was, he it was the kind of performance that made all the kind of. Crazy offers seem justified. He did look at a £35-40 football footballer on Saturday. Everything about him. His reading of the game in particular, his use of the ball, his calmness under pressure. There was, there was one ball played in behind, it, Pedro chased him. He's, he's under pressure. Pedro's from that Barcelona school of getting the ball back instantly. And you thinking, you're just going to have to put down the stands. And he, he did the Cleave turn and the penalty had played as well to trouble. Now, you wouldn't be in encourage that most of the time. But if you do have that poise, you have that quality on the ball... I think he do have to make exceptions. He will get caught off at some point. There's no question about that. But to see a defender in the English game, the Premier League, the speedest player, do that kind of thing, perform that kind of skill and want to play the right way. But that, that to me was John Stone. That was absolute peak. And he will, he will improve for me. He'll get better. defender will get better. But the standard he played on Saturday for me, I thought it was arguably his best game for ever because I think he got
0: you everything right. in Right. All right, Tony Barrett. Brilliant stuff as always. Thanks a million. Gee, good to be here. you. Take care, lads. So we finally cracked. Uh, what's up with Jos Mourinho, Ken? Well, I don't know. It's more, I suppose, it's more um, a symptom rather than getting to the cause of it. Mm-hmm. But a symptom of his current malaise is that he's just going around not taking care of his personal appearance anymore. It looks a mess.
2: Yeah, he. he uh, I thought he had too much product, definitely in his hair. Uh, the other at uh, at Goodison, it was just a little. Uh, he it was careless. You know what I mean. This is from a man who. He, he knows his way around a uh, you know tube of hair wax.
0: Well, maybe he knows better than us. And this is a, a man of Mourinho's stature, his handsomeness, his charisma. He's gotten to the point that he's so comfortable with his own appearance that he can allow himself to be disheveled, but it looks kind of cool. Is that not it?
4: No, I think his sex appeal is uh, founded mainly on a clean-cut persona. Um, even, even facial hair um, uh, should be neatly trimmed. Uh, hair immaculately parted. Uh, I think that that's the look that works best for him. He knows it. He knows it all too well. On so this uh, uh, breakdown in standards, it can. It, I mean, we we can't read enough into this. Basically, what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah.
0: Jonathan Wilson is going to talk to us now about Louis about Manchester United's victory over Liverpool. Jonathan and Van Hal afterwards was pressing home his claims to the first half being the half that Manchester United played all the football in rather than the second when they got uh, when they looked to the naked eye like they were playing a lot better surely he's just being contrary here nobody likes passing it around that much without actually achieving anything in the first half
1: yeah i think that's probably true i think um he's probably quite frustrated by the criticism of, of the sort of safety first possession approach and and i even think to be fair to him in a game like that where United may be a little bit anxious going into it, where you're playing a local rival, maybe killing the game, stifling it in the first half isn't isn't the worst thing. It might not be what United fans want to see, it might not be that exciting, but it it meant that Liverpool never got a foothold in the game. And then they got the goal early in the second half and, and were, were pretty comfortable. I mean, OK, a, a slight wobble after Benteke's goal, but essentially were pretty comfortable all through the
2: second half. Liverpool were um, uh, enthusiastically cooperative with Louis van Hal's plan <laughs> then. They, they, in, if, if van Gaal was trying to kill the game, uh, then they were quite happy to, to lie down and, and be smothered.
1: Yeah, I think that's also true, that they, they were equally going into the game a, a little bit unsure of themselves. I mean, having started the season pretty well, okay, not particularly fluent, maybe got the benefit of a couple of offside decisions. Uh, but then, you know, that West Ham defeat must have come as a terrible shock because they played so well at Arsenal, particularly in the first half. They must have thought, okay, things are building. And then suddenly you're, you're back below where you were at the start of the season. So I, I suspect they'd have been quite happy to just to try and get a foothold, to try and um, run the clock down almost and, and, and would have been quite happy with the point, as it was They were... Yeah, blown out the water the first half, out of the second
2: half. Is this not really strange, Jonathan? That you've got a squad of, you know, international footballers, supposed to be a sporting institution on a pretty high level, uh, and apparently the confidence, the collective confidence, is so brittle that it can be smashed to pieces by uh, just one defeat to West Ham. I mean, uh, I don't understand why there isn't a sort of deeper conviction about that group of players that yeah, okay, this this game didn't go very well. Looks as though there were some problems, certainly in that game. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to lose every game from now on. You know, every game is a new game. Where, where, where is that sort of belief? Where is that conviction? Why, why do they never? Why can they never seem to have it for any length of time?
1: Well, I think there's two things to be said there. One is that for, for all this is a great institution and everything, there's a lot of new players there. And a lot of the players who, who remain are the ones who are scarred by having not been able to defend for the last you know, three seasons. So there, there's a concern now over the stability of the back, and they know that they've lost the goals going forward because there's no Suarez and no Sturridge and, and, and whatever, and no Sterling. Um, but I think there's also the more important question is how how do you suddenly lose three 0 at home West Ham? What what went wrong in that game? It, it's understandable that that shakes you up because nobody could have expected that. Yeah, they hadn't lost at home to West Ham since what 1962 or something. So the, the, at the start of the season, they must have thought, you know, seen that as a, as a banker. Yeah, even if we play badly, it's only West Ham who you know, had lost to Bournemouth and lost to uh, Leicester, it yeah, looked pretty shaky. Uh, and suddenly they come out and beat you 3-0. You know, that's the worry. Why has that happened? Not why are you shaken up by it? And, and why that happens is these defensive problems have dogged them for a couple of years and this sort of general flatness that... For whatever reason, the, the, this group of players hasn't yet got together, hasn't yet sort of bought into the the, the project to use Brendan Rodgers' term.
0: Yeah, maybe that the, they're also being played out of position. I actually forgot Danny Ings was playing at one point yesterday. He was sort of out there in the the wing. And this is something that both Graeme Souness and Jamie Carragher agreed with each other about after the game. The, the obsession of playing, it's 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 always obviously uh, Brendan Rodgers' system. In this case, he's trying to play 4-3-3, even though... They've got strikers and they don't have wide players.
1: Yeah, I mean that. That's. You know, I mean yes. You, that's in terms of the makeup of the squad you can question. That. I mean, I'm not so worried about asking centre forward to play wide. I mean, it, it can work. To be honest, I don't know enough about Danny Ings to know if he's ever done that before. If he's particularly uncomfortable at that, but I, I think it's legitimate to play sort of a uh, a big striker wide cutting in. I think that can work. Um, so, so I'm not not so concerned by that. I mean, I, I guess the so the, the bigger question is, why are you sort of reduced to having to do that mm. if it's not working? Why, why are you reduced to having to do that after a summer where you've spent a lot of money and brought a lot of players in? You must have had a template of play in mind. Uh, and I think one of the issues is um, Roberto Firmino. And, and I mean, it's very early, you know, five games into the season. But he's already looking like a player who doesn't quite fit into that system.
2: Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, although. I mean when you talk it is true that Liverpool have bought a lot of players, but have they really pushed the boat out this summer? I get the impression when you look at what when you look at Liverpool's business over the summer, um when you bear in mind the um the economic context in which this is taking place to spend twelve million pounds more than you took in in player sales isn't necessarily a huge push. By the owners to you know to, to really to to take the team up a level. I mean, they have bought bought in brought in players, some expensive ones for Mina Benteke, sixty seven million pounds spent, but they have sold fifty five million pounds worth of players as well, uh, including one of their key attacking players in Raheem Sterling. It's a different um, it's a different kind of impression from what you see at Manchester United, where there is obviously an ambition to uh, you know to give Louis Van Hal the players he needs to to maybe win the league. Maybe this season, maybe next season. But that seems to be the aim. With Liverpool, it almost seems as though um, they're treading water a little bit. Maybe in the hope of... Maybe this ownership group has decided this might be a good time to, to uh, flip the club on.
1: Well, I'm not sure about that. But, I mean, possibly that is what they're thinking. I just think they're in a different position to United. That the, if, if you're a, a, you know, a promising player in their early 20s who's looking at where you're going to go next, and you, know, you think, OK, the Premier League and you've got a choice of United or Liverpool, there's, there's, that's not a choice. You, know, you go at United because you know, they are financially far wealthier. They can offer you more wages just because of their, their commercial might, and they're in the Champions League, and they've, they've got a history of recent success, which Liverpool just don't. So I've got some sympathy with Liverpool there. I think that, you know they're, they're basically reduced to, to, to buying B-plus players and not A-grade players just because of, of who they are. Um, and there's always a danger that you know, We get obsessed by by transfer spending. Uh, you know, part of Rodgers um one of his strengths, or his greatest strengths as a coach, is supposedly what he does on the training field, making players better. So the idea that you know, this has been a sort of tepid summer because they've only spent 12 million more, I, I think, you know, they, they 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 brought in plenty of good players. The issue is, do they actually fit together? And actually, is for me that good a player.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, the uh, what you're saying, the, the truth of what you're saying, I suppose, is, is maybe eliminated by the heartrending extracts from Stephen Gerrard's autobiography, uh, serialized today in the Daily Mail, in which he uh, reveals that the club asked him to tap up players that they wanted to sign, because they figured that a guy like William would respond better to hearing from Stephen Gerrard than <laughs> hearing from Liverpool FC, which I found pretty amazing. And, Of course, William actually just said. Stephen, I'd love to play with you, but can they offer me the Champions League, Stevie? Can they offer me the Champions League? And and of course he had to say, uh, no. Uh, it turns out that's it. I mean, it's. A, I wondered if you if you'd been looking at any of these um, extracts that, that Jared has been putting out there. Uh, I mean, whatever side, whatever about the strangeness of asking him to personally tap up people like Tony Kroos and so on. I wondered what you made of. of <laughs> no, that really did happen. Yeah, they asked him. Tony, to, it's me, Stevie. Yeah, Stevie, I, I really respect you, but I will never join Liverpool Football Club. <laughs> <laughs> um, he 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 has a few things to say about Brendan Rodgers, Jonathan. And f- first of all, have you actually been? Have you seen any of this stuff? I mean,
1: just what's
2: what's been in the paper. I haven't actually seen the book now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And everything directly that he says about Brendan Rodgers is is um, he's full of praise. It's like, oh, you know, lovely man. Imaginative coach, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There's quite a lot of indirect stuff in there that makes you question how good that relationship really was. Well, I think we were questioning
1: that anyway last season, weren't we? There was kind of clearly uh, a level of frustration there, and maybe that was going to happen, whoever the manager was. That Gerard was not a man who was going to happily accept the, the the notion his career was coming to an end, or his career at Liverpool was coming to an end, um, and, and that that is a a very difficult thing for, for any manager with, with a player who's been so key to that club. And you know, Rogers isn't the first one to struggle with that. You, you, know, you, you look at how, how Shankly fell out with Ian St. John, for instance, and, and the, the famous story when um, uh, he, he realised he's going to have to drop St. John for a game at Newcastle, and he sent St. John out of the dressing room, told everybody else the team, and St. John found out he wasn't in the team because a steward said, Ian, you're not in the team, what's going on? Um, but that, 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 that is just a difficult process of player coming to the end of his career. So, so perhaps some tension is, is understandable. But I, but I also think it's just a sense with Rodgers that every time he does something good, he then says something stupid or says something in a stupid way. So even when he does something that, that is ostensibly brilliant, you know, the, the change to three-four-two-one last season, which worked for, you know, the, I don't know, what was it, a dozen games, 15 games, when they look really good. But then he goes and gives that, well, presumably he gave up briefing to certain journalists about how he'd worked out of a tea and toast, and that just adds a sort of gloss of snake oil to everything. And it, it means that kind of you don't quite trust the the integrity of what he's doing. You, you kind of wonder if you're seeing the reality or if you're seeing some some sort of Rogers inflated version of reality.
2: Yeah, would you back him at this point to finish the season?
1: Uh, maybe, but I, I don't think it's certain by any means. And um, I think. If Jurgen Klopp start getting closer to another club, then maybe that might force Liverpool's hand. I, I certainly think next summer, you know, they, ha, they have to finish at least top six. I think that's minimum. And even finishing fifth plus six isn't good enough unless there's the signs of clear progress and they're, they're pretty close to, to finishing fourth. Or, I don't know, they could have had a, have a terrible time until Christmas and suddenly improve after Christmas and that would be enough. But yeah, he's, he's, he's under
0: pressure, definitely. All right, we'll leave it there. Jonathan, brilliant stuff. Thanks a million. Cheers. Thanks. You seem quite shocked, Ken, that Liverpool's confidence has broken down so much based on their early season defeat to West Ham.
2: Well, not really. I mean, it's just. Just that it shouldn't happen. No, it I, I think I think that that there should be firmer foundations there. You know, when you deal with when, when a setback happens, to to come back and say, right, you know, let's see what we can do. I mean, the I, I don't know, but maybe there is a, a lack of confidence even at an institutional level, as that as that uh, Steven Gerrard. Uh, tapping up thing seems to indicate. <laughs> I mean, you oh, feel, they
4: don't want to hear from us. Oh God,
2: you feel a bit That's sorry. Money, for, man. Gerard, you know what? When, when he's talking about, um, when he's talking about, you know, they said you wouldn't mind texting Tony there There, is that you? what it was?
0: It was a text to Tony. To Gerard,
2: uh, Gerard always does texts. He always initiates the contact with the text because he feels as you know he doesn't want to be imposing on the other person's time. They can read at their leisure, and you know they can think about how. They yeah, want to Tony Kroos to would a, just
0: feel awkward if Stephen Gerard rang him. Hello, it's Stephen. Which I decided to sign, uh, join it's the who? club. <laughs> Guten Tag. You know, first of all, I mean,
4: can can Stephen Gerard be absolutely certain that Tony Cross has conversational English? He does,
2: yeah, he does. So, uh, so Stephen Gerard, anyway. I mean, that's up.
4: the question. I would be if I was Stephen Gerard, I would be like, okay, you are si- you are standing there, you are telling me that Tony Cross is conversational Germany, but I am the guy who's about to ring him. Yeah. And start talking to him and introduce myself to him.
2: Yeah, he said that essentially some of the best players in the world can also be some of the most respectful. Kroos didn't make me feel like a complete idiot. <laughs> uh, however, it was pretty clear that he was going to be joining Real Madrid and not Liverpool. And um, so, but you know, he he was prepared to go out there and take that one for uh, for the team, for the club. If you know, buy a ticket in that lottery. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. It's. Maybe Liverpool reckon that was the that was the way to do it. I mean, I, I don't know if Steve Gerrard had any. I don't think he had any sort of relationship with Tony Cross, apart from the fact that Tony Cross, you know, knew who he would have known who he was. Whereas maybe that wasn't the case if Ian Ayre tried to call up Tony Cross. Um, I don't know. It always seems to me though that if you want, if you really do want to sign a player, the person you need to pitch to is probably the player's agent. You know, and if the agent is, is, if you convince the agent that, you know, this could actually be a good option, he's probably the man who can then talk to the player and say, by the way, just got off the blower from uh, Steven Gerrard. Well, maybe not Steven Gerrard in that case, maybe Ian Eyre. Uh, you know, he's. He, you know, I know you mightn't think Liverpool are, are going places. Uh, on the other hand, he's, he's put together a very convincing package. And uh, I think myself and yourself should meet for coffee and and discuss. That would be how I would see it going. But, you know, maybe this has worked in the past.
0: I hope you've enjoyed the show. We are going to put out our World Cup, Rugby World Cup preview podcast today featuring some big names. We've got Dennis Hickey. Doug Howlett is going to be in studio. An Irish citizen these days, Doug Howlett. Uh, settling here after his Munster career came to an end and obviously one of the well he was for a long time the leading try scorer for the All Blacks so we'll chat to him about that uh, Jerry Thorne is going to be involved as well so lots of good stuff there thanks very much for oh and Breach Corkery as well one of the most successful Irish sports people out there at the moment she has just won her 15th is this is All-Ireland medal between it's All-Ireland senior medal by the way between football and Camogie as uh, is in the All-Ireland Camogie final yesterday she scored the key goal there so we'll chat to her about that uh, and plenty more besides thanks Ken Thank you, Alan. Thanks, Kieran. Thanks, Alan. Thanks
2: again. Thank you, Kieran.
0: Thanks, guys. Just a quick reminder to, if you want to get involved in that charity auction that we mentioned earlier on, just uh, follow us on Twitter at Second to do that. You can also send an email to editor at secondcaptains.com. That's uh, for Medicine Sans Front. Uh, oh no, when I don't have it in front of me, Medicine Sans Frontier. Murph, I suddenly uh, I wobbled just at the end there. Uh, thanks very much for listening. We'll talk to you soon.
1: Come on us.